Today we're concluding a series um, that, that's really about what to do when you're heading the wrong direction. And uh, in this series, uh, we've been looking at the story of Jonah, uh, which is full of this time-tested wisdom and meaning and insight for uh, what you do when you find yourself in a situation where you need to make a turnaround. And um, today we've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to have to jump into the, the text pretty quickly here in, in just a minute. Um, the first uh, two parts of the series, we covered a chapter each, and uh, that was Act 1. As we said, uh, the Jonah, the story of Jonah, it reads more like, like a play, like a two-act play. And, and in this two-act play, uh, there's, there's two acts and each has two scenes. And so we, we covered Act 1, Scene 1, Act 1, Scene 2, and then today we're going to try and cover all of act two. And um, this, is, this play is sort of like a parable. And this parable sort of uh, helps us to understand uh, what do you do when you're going the wrong direction? Jo- Jonah was, many of you know the story. If you haven't been with us, I'll, I'll recap real quick. He was going in the wrong direction. And we detailed this the first week. If you weren't here, um, there's all this beautiful uh, directional language of this downward spiral that he was in the middle of. And um, he finds himself uh, in the middle of a storm. He sort of creates chaos for those those people around him and for himself. And they're sort of in a precarious situation and it's, it's humorous, um, which we said, this is this, the, the, the sort of the style of this story is satire. And Jonah's down below deck and he's sleeping in the middle of all this chaos. And so uh, the captain, the sailors, they come wake him up. And we said, that's the first step to a turnaround. That if you actually wanna turn things around, you have to be really honest, wake yourself up to what's really going on in the situation and be ruthlessly honest about what's really happening. And that's what happens to Jonah. And um, through a set of circumstances, you'll have to go back and read the story if you, if you weren't here. Um, they throw him overboard to kind of calm the sea. And, and so they throw him overboard and, and Jonah gets swallowed up by the fish. That's the famous part of the story. And he goes into what's known as the belly of the beast, which is what you do when you, you, you've been in this, where you're facing like really difficult circumstances or difficult situation in life. And he has to contemplate why he's ended up where he has. Not, not just uh, what he was doing and, 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 and the fact that he was doing what he ought not to be doing, but why was he doing what he ought not to be doing? Why, why was he going in the wrong direction? And, and Jonah, in the middle of that, he, he cries out to God in honesty in, in, in reflecting on uh, what he's been doing that got himself in the situation uh, that, that he's in. And God rescues Jonah. And that's where we left off. This is um, the last verse of chapter two. It says this, it says, and the Lord commanded the fish... And it vomited Jonah up onto dry land, which is an awesome way to begin your morning uh, if you just had breakfast. So I apologize for that. But um, Jonah, he, he sort of reemerges. And this is, this is the metaphorical part of the story. Jonah's gone through this terrible experience and he's somehow come out on the other side of it and he reemerges and he reemerges enlightened and illuminated. As a matter of fact, I showed you some images the first week, but here's some ancient paintings. Um, and you'll see in each of these, you'll see this halo that's around Jonah's head. And a lot of these, the, the artists in the ancient world, they would try to represent what happened in the story when they, then they show these pictures. And so what we see is Jonah has this halo, which represents this new learning, this enlightenment. He's learned something new. Jonah reemerges and he reemerges with a message in his hand. And it's like, okay, we, we, we expect a lot more from Jonah. He's been given a second chance, which I just, this is sort of where I want to jump in with us today. Like, have you ever been given a second chance? 
in life, in, in your story, like you, you somewhere back in, you know, maybe your, your, your childhood or your early years, or maybe it was in your career, maybe it was in your marriage. Maybe uh, it was something that was significant to you. Um, I, I've done a lot of uh, dumb things in my life that um, I'm, I'm not proud of, but I'm, I'm grateful for people that gave me second chances. As a matter of fact, uh, my brother who's sitting on the front row, he doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, which is not always a good thing when you're telling a story about a family member. But um, when we were in college, we did a lot of really dumb things, like a lot of us did in college. Like, did anybody else do dumb things in college? Okay, like four or five of you are willing to be honest, so... It's going to be a long story for me, but I, um, when we were in college, this one time, we just thought we had this rival college. My brother and I both played college soccer, and um, we, there was this rival school that we were playing against, and we decided before the game, we decided we were going to go over there and play a prank on them, and it was a really great prank for another, well, I'll just go ahead and tell you. It's, 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 it's kind of short. We thought it would be great if we showed up, we were going to play at their field. We thought when we showed up, it would be awesome if the name of our school was on the middle of their field. And we thought they, they could wash it off and they could just cut the grass if we painted it on there. So we took gasoline and wrote our name of the school in the middle of the field and lit it on fire. And so um, the bad part about that is there's some people that sort of caught us and they were chasing us. And we thought it was like campus security from their school, but it wasn't. It was some angry students and athletes that were like waiting for us to come because they had heard somebody tipped them off that we were gonna do this prank. And so literally they're chasing us and we're driving down the road and, and literally they, they start smashing into the back of our car. And we were at like high rates of speed. Like I, I literally thought I wasn't gonna make it out of that night. And, and not only that, like we ended up getting caught and in trouble and, you know, I was on scholarships. So I was like, they were threatening like, hey, you could get kicked off the team and you could lose your scholarship. And I was grateful to get a second chance. And somebody's here and brought a friend today, by the way, and they're, they're thinking like, do they do background checks on the preachers that are like, but, but, but like, and maybe you haven't done something that extreme. And, and that was a long time ago, so don't judge me. But, the, you know, you messed up somewhere in life, right? Like, and maybe, maybe you owned up to it at some point. And seemingly, you, you learned your lesson. And, and somebody decided to graciously give you a second chance, which isn't always easy. But here's what always happens. With a second chance always comes elevated expectations, Right? Like you're, you're expected um, that what's expected of you that the, the next time won't be like the last time, that you're gonna change, your behavior will be different. And you're expected to sort of level up and, and, and do better and get better, which, which this is sort of, my kids, would, they would immediately associate this with gaming. It's like you, you fail and fail and fail at, at one level and then you beat that level and what you learn at that level helps you go to the next level and you can now compete at the next level. And that's, it's sort of that same idea. And, and this is what Jonah's in the middle of. Jonah reemerges in light and he's getting a, a second chance. And so we have elevated expectations of Jonah because of what he's gone through and he's come out on the other side and you think, now he knows better. He's learned. And so act two, it begins with Jonah getting a second chance. And it, and it says this, it says, and then the word, of the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So this is the second time the word of the Lord has come to Jonah. And, and, and if you weren't here in week one, um, and I, there's, there's sort of two paths that are going on here. Um, there's, there's Jonah, uh, which I already messed that up. I don't normally do that, so I apologize. Uh, let, let's try that again. God's here. Jonah's over here. We're going to trace two paths. Man, I hate that because this is something I, I like. All right, forget it. Can we start the service over real quick? Is that possible? I'm just kidding. So second chance. Thank you. Give me a second chance, people. Come on. Sorry. 
So God, God and Jonah, they're sort of, they're, they're interacting. And from, from chapter one in, in act one, scene one, this, the, the same thing happens in the beginning. The, the word of the Lord, this, this is repeated. The word of the Lord, it comes to Jonah. And, and we see this in act one, scene one. And when the word of the Lord came to Jonah in act one, scene one, if you, if you remember, Jonah decides to defy what God wanted him to do. And he, instead, he decided himself what was best for him. He decided himself what he ought to do. He decided for himself what path he should take. And, and so Jonah defies God in the, in the beginning. And, and as we saw, it didn't go well for him. But because of God's graciousness, Jonah gets a second chance. And, and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he, and he says, God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I have given you, which you also have to go back because he already gave him the message before and he doesn't repeat the whole message here, but it's sort of like, hey, I'm angry with Nineveh and, and these people are wicked and they're violent and I want you to go and I want you to preach against them and I want you to warn them that my consequences are coming. And, and so he says, you know, go and, and communicate this message. Now, this was the primary role of a prophet. In fact, I told you in week one, this is the only actual story we have about a prophet's life. All the rest of the other 17 prophetic books in the Bible, um, their messages from prophets, uh, from, from God through prophets to people, which was the primary role of a prophet, was to be the mouthpiece of God. And what they did was they provided warnings of consequences if people didn't change their direction, which this is the satire is like, that's Jonah's story. That's why this is ironic is like, he's now getting a second chance and he's gonna go be a mouthpiece of what he's experienced. Like he was supposed to do this in the first place. He didn't do it. Now he's gonna go communicate on behalf of God. Now, Nineveh was this tremendous city. It means nothing to most of us, but it, as we told, I told you before, it was in Northern Iraq along the Tigris River. And, and here's a representation of what many people believe that city looked like. It was this amazing ancient city. It was the capital, as a matter of fact, and the largest city of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. So there was the Assyrian Empire that lasted a long time. And then the Assyrians reemerged and, and they took over the whole world. This was before the Babylonians took over them. For those of you who are, are histor history people, um, the Neo-Assyrian Empire was the largest empire in the world. And Nineveh was the largest city in the largest, most powerful empire in the world. As a matter of fact, the royal palace had a seven and a half mile wall, fortification wall that went around it. It's a massive city. Massive palace, like this is, this is the world power of the time. And we're told Jonah, so he goes to Nineveh and he began to go a day's journey into the city. And he's proclaiming, Here, here's the message he's proclaiming. This isn't the message God gave in the beginning, but the message he's proclaiming is 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now that's us, which is the way my kids would say it, but we, we should immediately be suspect of Jonah's behavior here. I mean, he's not even halfway into the city. He's not at the center of the city. He, he's, he's not communicating the right message. And he gives this pathetic sermon, which by the way, in the Hebrew, it's only five words. It's five Hebrew words, and it's an incredibly vanilla warning. It's not, it's not what you would expect. It's no real attempt to alarm people or to warn them that, that like something terrible is coming. 
There's no repent because God's angry because of your wickedness. You need to turn around, take it from me. I tried to go the opposite direction of God. I wasn't listening to him. And let me tell you about what happened to me. And if you don't want that to happen to you, but, but here's Jonah, he, he's defied God previously. He's defied his instructions and now he obeys. But, but it's like, he's just going through the motions. Jonah, you know what Jonah's doing? He's, he's literally, he's doing like the absolute minimum. He's doing the absolute minimum of, of what's required of him. It's like, okay, I'm supposed to be this prophet of God and I'm gonna do the, but I'm gonna do the absolute minimum. It's like the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and, and, and he's decided for himself before. He decided for himself, he wasn't gonna go that direction. That didn't work out for him. So now he's decided for himself again how he wants to do what God wants him to do. And, and he does the absolute minimum. And he doesn't fulfill what he's actually supposed to do. And it's sort of like he just shows up to get the participation medal. Which, by the way, is a pet peeve of mine. Like, how come everybody gets a medal these days? Like, can anybody, I, I, one person's clapping with me. I love that. You, you get credit. No, 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 you can't clap now. It's too late. It's too late. You get all the credit. Like, like no, everybody doesn't win. Sorry, I, I need to keep on with the sermon. So, so here's the thing. Here's what's happening. Jonah doesn't get a medal. Like, he shouldn't get a medal for this. And, but despite, this is the, this, I love this story. Despite his pathetic sermon, look what happens. Like, it's, it's just, it's, you thought the part about the fish was unbelievable. Look at this. Now, the Ninevites believed God as a result of his sermon. And, and a fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. I mean, they all believed God. I mean, the God they didn't serve. Are you kidding me? I mean, you know, th this is the God that Jonah failed to even mention in his stellar sermon. And they fasted. And they put on sackcloth, which were like, these, this was about repentance and about mourning. Sackcloth was like this coarse goat hair. And it was like to, to remind you how terrible you should feel, even if you don't feel terrible. And so they go to these, these extreme measures. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, though, and this is usually the part where things don't go well for the prophet, because especially in this case, because it's not like it was an Israelite king, which usually that's, that's what happens. Although there's some of the prophets spoke against foreign nations, but, but usually the prophet of God speaking to the people of God. And this is a, a foreign king who many treated like a God. In fact, that was sort of the law. And typically this is where it gets rough. But when warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. Look at this language. He got off of his throne and he took off his royal robes and he covered himself with sackcloth. And he sat down in the dust. Now, th this, is, this is a different perspective. We, we have the path that Jonah took, and then we have the path that the king took. And the king, when, when the, wor the word of the Lord comes to the king through, through second hand, by the way, or maybe second or third or fourth hand, Jonah's preached this pathetic wor word, and he's not even halfway into the city, and the word eventually trickles to the king. And what does he do? He's casting off everything that symbolizes his power. He gets off of his throne and he takes off his royal robe and instead he puts on the coarse goat hair. He's casting off everything that symbolizes his power and his rights, what he's entitled to. And what we see him do is he decides to completely humble himself. He humbled himself before God. He lowered himself all the way down to the dust, which he was formed from in the beginning. 
And then the king makes this decree. And we don't have time to, to read the whole decree, but, but he makes this decree. It's a proclamation. And the, and the decree is that everyone, in fact, every living thing is to fast and cover themselves with sackcloth. Even the animals are supposed to do this. Like, so this is like, this is part of the satire. They're all supposed to do this. And he says, let everyone, let everyone call urgently on God. This is sort of the summation of his decree. Let everyone, including the animals, Call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and give up their violence. Basically, the, the king's saying, look, we need to do everything we can possibly do to show God that we're serious. And then if you weren't sure that the king was really humble, he, he said, we're gonna do everything we know how to do. And even though he's the most powerful king in the world, we're gonna do everything we, we know how to do. And who knows, who knows? God may yet relent. Like it's not for sure, but God may yet relent with compassion and with his compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Again, don't miss this. This is presumably the most powerful person in the world, in the known world at that time. And, and, And what he's doing is he's not doing the absolute minimum. He's decided that he's gonna take extreme measures. He's gonna use every bit of his power and everything within the scope of his rule to get everyone, after he's heard what the Lord's bringing towards them, he's decided, I'm gonna humble myself. And the path I'm gonna take is I'm gonna take extreme measures to relent, to humble myself in recognition that there's someone who's greater than me, someone who's actually really in control, even though most things in the world are under my control, there's someone greater than me. And who knows, who knows? I mean, we've been incredibly wayward. We've we've been violent. We've done the opposite of what this God represents, but, but maybe there's still a chance. Even though we've persecuted God's people and we've terrorized them, who Who knows? Maybe God will relent with his compassion. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, which I just want to pause real quick. We're going to talk about what God did when he saw, but we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't matter how wayward you've been. You never get too far away. You're never too far off for God to see you and to hear you when you turn toward him when you humble yourself, when you cry out to him. And when, when God saw, the scripture tells us, when God saw what had happened, when he, he was paying attention, he, he was, it was like you know the, the actions of the king were important to him. When God saw what they did, what all the people did, what all the, the animals did under the rule of this king, and they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And he didn't bring on them the destruction that he had threatened in the beginning. And then what would happen essentially is God provided for them. God, God provided a rescue. God provided a way out. He, he provided in, in response to what they did. So did, did, did they control God? No, but, but did their actions matter? Did, did the things that they did when they humbled themselves and they decided to turn from what they were doing? Absolutely it did. It's what led to their rescue. It's what led ultimately to a turnaround. This, this is, this is the, the key thing that, that leads to a turnaround. 
Well, it was, was when, when they sort of humbled themselves and they turned towards God. Now, if, if you don't know the story, you may not know this part. As a matter of fact, chapter four, um, if, you, if you were to go search a handful of, of children's books, chapter four is often left out of the children's story. In fact, it's not part of the VeggieTales story. I know I beat up on VeggieTales a lot, but like, it's just not part of the story. And, and if you've been following along, at this point, Jonah's obviously not happy and predictably seen too. Chapter four, we're already to chapter four. Chapter four begins with Jonah sulking. That's what he's doing. And, and, and uh, chapter four says, says this, says, but Jonah, uh, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He, it's, he goes on and, and he has this sort of, this prayer, he kind of cries out to God and he's like, I knew it. I knew this is what you were gonna do. I knew you were gonna let them off the hook. I, I knew that you were gonna be gracious to them. This, this Hebrew construction of very wrong, it's, it's not a great translation, translation in, in, in our English language. It literally means exceedingly evil. Like to me, I mean, God, look, I'm looking at this situation and what you did is exceedingly evil in my eyes. I mean, after all they've done, after all the power and all the wealth that they have in the world, it's enough that you've given them all that and, and that they're controlling all things and that they terrorize us and they rule over. But after all they've done, ruling all that evil at our expense, at your people's expense, you give them grace? Are you kidding me? Jonah's like, this, this is so terrible. He, he actually says, it would be better off for me to die. And he goes and he sits out on a hillside outside the city. Now, many of us don't know this part of the story because the part of the story we know is Jonah went the wrong way and he got swallowed by a fish and God saved him and then he went and saved a bunch of people, but that's not how it happened. And this is because this isn't like the Hollywood you know, ending that we like to our stories. But the truth is, is, is God saw what Jonah was doing too. He didn't only see what the king did. He didn't only see what the king's actions were, but he saw what Jonah had done and how Jonah had responded. And, and Jonah's angry, but look how the Lord replied. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Which this is such an interesting question. Jonah's out there going, I just want to die. Would you just kill me? And, and it's like, he's sort of in a fragile state. You wouldn't expect this to be God's response, but it's like, he's not going to try and talk him off the ledge. He's like, what gives you the right like, I, I, think, I think if we could translate this, like maybe, maybe the way God said it was like, who do you think you are? Like, what gives you the right to judge me? And then, I love this part. This is, this is phenomenal. Then God provides. He actually provides for Jonah in this situation. And, and it's in a brilliant way. You remember, I told you last week, most of us read right over this part, but God actually provided the fish. That's the language. Same word, God provides something else. Then the Lord, look at this, he's sitting on this hill. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to, to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. You know, this, is, this is the desert and so it's hot out there. And it's like, it seems like, wait, wait, God, what are you doing? Like you're rewarding bad behavior. Like, you know this, if you're a parent, when your kids go and sulk or, or they go and they pout, you don't go give them attention. You don't go, oh, let me bring you a treat. Like the, you don't wanna reward that bad behavior. It's like, what are you doing, God? But God is so brilliant. And the story is brilliant. He provides this leafy plant. And, and then at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed up the plant. So it withered. 
And when the sun rose, uh, God provided a scorching east wind, which most of you don't really know what that's like because when the wind blows here in Atlanta, there's water in the air and it feels like a nice cool breeze, but we just moved here from the desert and when the wind blows out there, it feels like a hairdryer. I mean, it's terrible. And this is what God brings. He brings the hairdryer scorching dry east wind and he blows this east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. God provided all of this for Jonah. <laughs> the story, the author tells us that Jonah wanted to die. In fact, he said, this is the second time he says this, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah again, he said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Which, does this sound familiar? I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, this is the same thing again. It's like, what gives you the right? What gives you, you mean, who do you think you are? Just side note real quick. Some of you learned this in life, but if the student doesn't learn, you can always expect the teacher to repeat the lesson. And that's what God's doing. He's like, you didn't learn the first time and you didn't learn the second time. And so what God provided brilliantly for Jonah, God provided something that Jonah didn't want, but he provided something that Jonah needed. He provided yet another lesson. And this time, he's gonna spell it out for Jonah. He's gonna spell it out exactly what's going on. He, he says this, he says, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't make it grow. I did. And it sprang up overnight. And it died overnight. It's not like you got really attached to it, like it was your pet plant or something like that. It's like, well, you know, you, what, what gives you the right to be sad about this? Here's your problem, Jonah. You're trying to be somebody you're not. You're trying to play a role. You shouldn't be trying to play in your life. You wanna be in control. And maybe by now you're starting to figure out that you're not. You're not in control of the circumstances around you. There is a God and I am him. And you are not. And I don't need to explain myself to you, but should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? where there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, which is basically saying, look, look, they don't know, and apparently you don't know either, Jonah, but uh, they don't know where they're headed, and they're headed in a weird direction. They're headed towards a storm. They're headed towards rough seas. They're headed towards destruction, and that's why I was trying to send you to them in the first place. Why shouldn't I have concern for them? Just like you. They are my creation and I am concerned. I care about my creation. And also there's many animals there too, which is like cue the laugh track because this is the place where like, the, like things would laugh. Well played, that was really good. You guys didn't laugh, so you, they were trying to help you out there. But, but it's, it's basically like, this is where you, you would laugh. And it's like, and the animals too. And it, the, the point is, it's like Jonah doesn't turn, but... But, but God's continuing to be, to be persistent. And he provided for Jonah over and over and over in very interesting and peculiar ways. He provided a storm and he provided a fish and he provided this leafy plant and he provided a worm and he provided a scorching wind, and, which is to say that sometimes the things the Lord provides are pleasant and sometimes the things the Lord provides are, are unpleasant. But all the while, he's trying to provide for us. And, and what is he providing? In the end, what, what God's really trying to provide 
for all of his people, what he's trying to provide for you and for me, what he's trying to provide for Jonah, what he's trying to provide for the people of Nineveh is he's trying to provide his grace because every single one of us needs God's grace. He's trying to provide the opportunity for us to have a turnaround. See, both the rescue and the additional uh, lesson for Jonah were both provided by the grace of God. Neither one of them dealt with immediate destruction or total loss or total calamity. And it's because of God's graciousness and God's providing the opportunity for them to turn around. He's providing the opportunity for them to wake up, which, which clearly the king and the Ninevites did faster than Jonah, which is, which is the irony of the story because Jonah's the prophet of God. And these people are, are pagan worshipers and, and they've been violent and they've, they've been terrible towards the people of God. But he's giving them the opportunity to wake up and, and to dive deep and, and discover why are we doing this and why aren't we submitting to the God and is there a, a God that's more in control and, and the one that I should trust with my life and, and, and follow his path. And then they're given the opportunity to level up, to learn from the past experiences, to learn from what they're confronted with when the, Lord of the, when the word of the Lord comes to them. See, many people begin this process. We've been talking about this for weeks. They begin this process and, and maybe they even complete the first two steps. It's sort of like, I wake up and go, oh yeah, I, I, there's a mess here and, and, and I'm not going in the right direction. And I don't, I don't know why, I need to think about that. Why am I going the wrong direction? And maybe we, we begin to learn some of the ways and the reasons we're going in the wrong direction that we never fully navigate the turnaround. And, and like Jonah, oftentimes we find ourselves back in the same set of circumstances, headed in the wrong direction yet again needing yet another lesson. But like we said from the beginning, our God is a God of second chances, and third, fourth, and fifth chances. But ultimately, here's what you need to know. Leveling up requires bowing down. This is the only way to complete the turnaround. Jonah's been fighting for the same thing since the very beginning. He wants control of his own life. He wants to be the God of his own life. Jonah, he, he, he not only thinks he knows what's right for him, he said twice, I know what's better for me, but, but Jonah's operating as if he's the ultimate authority on what's right and what's wrong. Okay, yeah, uh, I'll think about it. I'll, I'll consider the word of the Lord as it comes to me, but, but then I'll make a judgment about whether I think that's the right thing for me or not. I know that God said this about my finances or about my relationships or about my sexuality, but, but I'll decide whether I think that's the right thing for me or not. And the point is, is that humility is the key to completing the turnaround. When, when the word of the Lord comes to us and, and it says, hey, you're going in the wrong direction. And sometimes we don't even need somebody to spell it out because we know. But when it's brought up, we have a decision to make and we can either choose the path where we're gonna decide for ourselves and we're gonna continue to decide for ourselves what we think's best for us because, I mean, let's be honest, this is a really old book and these are really old stories. I mean, as we've seen the last few weeks, I mean, this is hardly relevant to our lives except it's the story of humanity and it's what we all deal with and we wanna be in control and we want to decide and we want to determine the direction we should go in because we want to be the God of our own lives. But humility is the key to completing a turnaround. 
Now, many of you have heard this, this quote because it floats around a lot. And there's a quote that says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's, it's been misattributed to C.S. Lewis, which he's too smart to write something like that. And I actually don't think this is quite right. I'm sure whoever wrote this is way more smarter than I am, obviously. Um, but, 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 but I think, I, I, I think it's, it's not all there is to it. See, humility actually, I think, is thinking of yourself properly. Now, don't miss this. This is so important. I'm not saying, I'm not saying something negative about you. In fact, there's this Hebrew word, the Hebrew word that we translate humility. It means way more than that. This, this, this word's used throughout the Old Testament, and, and it's, it's in relationship to God. And, and this word humility, it's called anava, is how you, how you pronounce this. And anava, it, it means to occupy your God-given space in the world. You were created to occupy a certain space in the world. And Anava is not overestimating yourself or your abilities. I mean, that's arrogance and that's pride. And it's not either underestimating them either. That's false humility. Uh, there, there's, a, there's an old uh, ancient uh, rabbi. His name's Rabbi uh, Bunham. And he said, he said that everybody should carry around two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. And on one of the pieces of paper, it should, you should write, I am but dust of the earth, because that's what's true about you. God scooped you up from the dust of the earth and he created you. He breathed his life in you. You're but dust of the earth, but you were created in the image of God. See, this is, this is what provides humility. When I realize that I'm but dust of the earth, but because God breathed his life into me, I was created in his image. And I occupy a space in this world that I was designed and I was created to occupy. See, when you begin to have a, a proper view of yourself, you begin to experience a humility in relationship to God, a humility in relationship to what God's created you to do and to be in the world. And humility trades this thinking of it's my right which is what the, what the king threw off. It's my right. I, I, it's my right. I should be able to do what I want to do. And, and it's my right to do what I want to do with my money. And it's my right to do what I want to do in my relationships. And it's my right to do what I want to do with my sexuality. And it's my right to do what I want to do with my company and my employees and whatever it may be. It's my right. It's my life to do what I want to do. Or, or the need to be right. I, I need to be right. I, I need to, I, I, I want to do it this way and I think I should do it this way and, and I know what's right for me. And, and I'll decide. I mean, I know you say this, God, but, but I know me and I know what's right for me and I, I have this need to be right. And what humility does is it, change, it exchanges this idea of it's my right or the need to be right for getting things right. And in the end, Jonah the prophet, he's still not getting things right. I told you, it's, it's this satirical tragedy. He's trying to play the role of God rather than speaking on behalf of God. He's a conduit of God's wisdom. He's a conduit of God's truth. And he's trying to play God instead, speak, instead of speaking on behalf of God. This is the worst part. I love this story, but the worst part is that's where the story ends. Sort of. Like we don't really know. It's, it's the end of what we know what happens to Jonah but we're left wondering, I mean, what did he do next? I mean, he's been given yet another chance and he's been given another lesson. Does he get a third or a fourth or a fifth chance? Like what happens to Jonah and by design? We don't know because by design, we're meant to consider the same thing for our own lives. 
we're meant to consider. What will we do when the word of the Lord comes to us? Will we, will we be people who just decide we're gonna evaluate, we're gonna decide for ourselves what we wanna do? Or, or will we respond like the king? Who will we be? How will we respond? And, and in light of that, God will, God will pay attention. He's paying attention to what we do. And, and, and when the word of the Lord comes to us, we respond one of two ways. And then God sees our response and God will always provide for you. This is what you need to know. God will provide for you as a result. And he will either provide a rescue and a turnaround if you choose to humble yourself or God will provide yet Another lesson, if you decide you're gonna keep walking your own path and going your own way, either way, it will be God's grace in your life because we serve a gracious God. He's loving. He cares about every single one of you, no matter how far, how long you've gone your own way, how big or how small you've decided to venture your own direction. God wants to turn you back toward himself. He wants to lead you back in the right direction in the way that's best for you to the best kind of life for you. Now, just a final note from this story. If you're a Jesus follower, or really if you're anybody who's been rescued for something, I think there's another reason that God takes away the shade tree, which is a really fun part of the story, which is a bummer they take it out of the children's story because like God provides this shade tree, it seems awesome, and then the worm eats it up. It's like, it's like this really funny trick that he's played. But I think the reason God does this, the reason he takes away the shade tree is because God didn't rescue Jonah so he could sit under a shade tree. That's, that's not why God rescues any of us. God rescued Jonah for the same reason he rescues you and the way he's rescued me is so that we can join him in rescuing others because rescued people rescue people. That's what they do. When you realize what you've been rescued of, you're like, I gotta help other people who are going the wrong direction. I don't want them to experience what I've experienced. They're going in the wrong direction. And when you see somebody in that way, you wanna go and rescue them. I told you uh, week one, at the end of week one about my friend David who my, his wife and uh, another friend and I had to rescue. We had to have an intervention with him. And I had to take him to a 90-day inpatient treatment program where uh, he had to deal with a sickness he was wrestling with that had gotten a hold of him. And he needed help turning around. And to David's credit, his eyes were open. He, he woke up to what was really going on and, and he decided to dive deep as to why. Why was he responding in this way? And after I finished this story that first week about, about David, um, I walked up the stage after the, the second service and a guy walked up to me and he said, hey, we, we've never met, but I wanted to thank you for being a part of my rescue. I said, oh, really? Tell me about that. Like, how, how were you rescued? He said, well, a few years after David got out of treatment, David did for me what you did for him. Here's... It's amazing. Here's the thing. There's no telling how many people actually David's been used by God to rescue. He's actually on the board of the organization now that he once was in treatment with. Now that's leveling up. That's living a good story. Here's what you need to know. Whatever you've experienced, God wastes nothing. 
He wants to use everything you've experienced in your life. In fact, God provides opportunities for you to wake up to the things that are going on in your life that are not good, to the reality that things could be better, that there's a better way to live, that God wants more for you. And he wants to help you dive deep into understanding all that. And then if you're willing in humility, he's gonna allow you to level up and he's gonna bring purpose and meaning to all the things that you faced while you're navigating a turnaround. May we be people who leverage all the things that God provides on our life, good or bad, to lead others, to point others to the grace of God Maybe we be people who are rescued people who go out and by God's grace and with God's partnership, rescue people around us who are in need of experiencing the same things that we've experienced, God's grace in our lives. Let me pray for you. God, I pray today for somebody who's here and they're, they've been wrestling and maybe today somebody just kind of came in at the end of the story. They came in at the end of the, the movie, if you will. And they didn't get to hear the first act of the play and they showed up today and they're going, I, I know I'm going in the wrong direction. I, I've been headed in the wrong direction for years, for a long time. And, and maybe today they, this was sort of their last shot. Maybe they logged online because a friend shared this or shared it on Facebook or, or told them they should, they should check out the series. And, and maybe they just decided today after somebody's bugged them for weeks to, to jump on and, and maybe they're watching or maybe they're here and, and they're thinking, this can't be true for me. I, I'm too far gone. I, I've, I've, I've lived in the wrong direction for way too long. God, I pray in this moment by the power of your spirit, which is the only way this happens, that you would help them to know that you are near, that they would, they would have a keen sense that what they're feeling, what's stirring inside of them, it's not my words. It's not the music playing behind me. It's the God of the universe providing an opportunity for them to wake up to their circumstances to begin to consider and to dig deep into why they're headed in the direction that they are. And God, that you wanna provide for them a, a turnaround in their lives. I just pray you give them the humility today to surrender, to, to throw up their hands and go, God, I, I'm done controlling my life. I'm done, I, I've messed up my finances too many times. I'm done controlling that. I'm gonna surrender. I'm gonna do it your way. I, I've messed up too many relationships. I'm gonna surrender. I'm gonna do it your way, God. I, I've messed up too much in my own personal life or in my business. I, 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 I've found myself in this same mess over and over. And so today I'm, I'm not gonna decide for myself anymore. I'm gonna surrender to your way. Help me to know what that is. God, I pray that you would help them to know it. Bring, bring people around them. But first today, maybe they would just begin by saying, God, I surrender and I give up control of my life to you. Maybe for the first time, I wanna receive the grace of God in my life. I've been trying to do life my way my whole life. And today I surrender to you, God. I want that free gift of your grace that you sent when you paid the penalty for all my wrongdoings when you put Christ on the cross, your son. And I wanna receive your grace and your salvation in him. God, I pray that you'd continue to save us over and over from ourselves as we surrender control to you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.